Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. My friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So, I don't know how you guys take your cardboard to the cardboard recycling place, but it's kind of boring to just go and just set it in the cardboard place. Uh, You know, they have a little, if you know what I'm talking about, there's an old truck dock you'd back your trucks up into, and there's two levels And so I feel like the only appropriate way to deliver a cardboard box into the cardboard box place is to grab it in your hand, do as many spins as you can tolerate, and try to launch it up into the the cardboard place. Right? My kids are like, yeah, that's the way you do it. That's the way Dad does it. If that fails, you may may punt the boxes into the space. All right? And so I'm walking around uh, yesterday working, and I get a Snapchat. I get a snap from my son who's taking boxes to the cardboard place, and guess how he's doing it? He's spinning and throwing the boxes up into the cardboard place. I'm teaching him well. Uh, You know, another example of this is, and I didn't know this was going to be an Andrew Jambe morning, but um, we, I play music all the time at my house. You can ask my wife. Uh, She's not necessarily liking music and noise all the time, but I enjoy noise all the time. And so I'm often out on our back deck playing a song. And a few weeks ago, I had some music going on. And my kids grab out our dog pail thing, which is kind of round and silver. And they sit down on it, and they start banging on it like a jambe. And I'm like, huh, I've never played. I've ne- I guess I'm not, I'm not cool enough. To, I, don't, I don't get imitated when it comes to musical instruments. But when it comes to the jambe, my kids, we all, why? I'm bringing this up because so much of who you are, so much of what disciples you is simply what you're around. What, what, are you, what, what uh, worlds are you sort of invested in? What, what worlds are you sort of, have you dove in, have you dived into, or kind of live around you? They begin to conform you. What is discipling you? I know why my kids spin around and throw boxes. I know why my kids beat on trash cans like they're playing an instrument, right? 
beyond this just fun. But, you know, they've seen it. And, they all, and so they, they've, they've observed it. They've noticed it. And so it, it is discipling them in a way because it's what they are around. Well, what is discipling you? One of our core convictions at Missio here is the intentional, intentional discipleship of all of God's people. That's why I said in our mission statement, we exist to equip all of Christ's people to worship Him with all of their lives. And we don't just hope that just magically happens. We want to be engaged in intentional discipleship. We want to make sure that we're, we're not ignorant that that to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be equipped, it takes intentional discipleship. Not, not because discipleship won't happen in your life if we're not intentionally engaged in it. The reality is discipleship is happening in your life no matter what. You are being formed by the things you look at, by the things you listen to, by the things you hope in, which is our kind of text this week, by the things that you worry about, which is kind of our text for next week, all of these things are discipling you. The question isn't, are you being discipled, but what is discipling you? What is teaching you? What is training you? What is forming you? What is transforming you? My kids didn't just pick up their various habits, habits and patterns, and your kids don't just pick up various habits and patterns, thinking and attitudes, we all do. It isn't just my kids that are subject to it or your own kids. We all do it. There's times that like Jim and I have been hanging out pretty consistently. Like we've been friends for 15 years or so, but we've been hanging out way more than we used to in the past year. And it's all right. And it's, but it's funny, like I'll get in a conversation with somebody and I'll say something. I'm like, that sounded like Jim. <laughs> you know, that, that things just begin to, the people you hang around with, they, they dis, you disciple them, they disciple you. It just naturally happens. The, the, the more that you're around these things, you are being discipled. You are being trained. You are being formed by the things that are around you. The question isn't, are you being discipled? But what are the primary influences of your discipleship? What are the largest voices in your life? And Jesus in this section is telling us, be intentional with your discipleship. Realize that these things that you treasure, these things that you gaze upon, these things that you serve, they are forming you. They are, they are controlling who you will become, what kind of kingdom citizen you will be. Now, as we go into this section, we, the, the main idea this morning really is just to pay attention to what is forming you. Um, that, that is Jesus in these verses here. He is warning kingdom people to pay attention to what they are treasuring, what they are looking upon, and what they are serving because it is forming you. And as Jesus heads into this section, it's a, a bit of a different angle, but really the same heartbeat. All along, we've said that the Sermon on the Mount, remember, this is not a description of how to become one of the king's people. So this isn't like, okay, here's these few verses, and if I treasure rightly and my eyes looks upon the right thing and I serve correctly, then maybe Jesus will love me and I can become one of the king's people. This is not that. 
the, the Sermon on the Mount is a description of what it looks like when the king's people live like the king's people. This is not a description of achievements or a list of how-tos for anyone to become one of the king's people. It describes instead what the life of a kingdom citizen looks like. In the first part of this chapter, we've looked through and gone through and emphasized the importance of practicing your righteousness before your God. Remember, over and over again, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So these are already citizens of the kingdom, but you practice your righteousness, your, your, um, your giving of alms, your prayers, and your fasting is all done before God. It is all done honesty with honesty and with sincerity before the one who sees and who rewards. And then it shifts we're moving out of religious practices done before God and now into our interaction with the things of this world. Our interaction with the things of this world. And I think it's so helpful that Jesus does this because it's easy to convince ourselves. It is, it is easy to think that Christianity and the world thinks this way, that religion is a section of your life that you perform, that you observe, and then you go on with the rest of your life. And then you come back next week and you perform a certain religious duty. And then you go on and, and you try to be a good person, I suppose. But really, you just kind of go on with your life. You do your religious duty before God. And hopefully those religious activities please Him. And then you go out and, and the, into the world and, I guess, don't try to mess it up with the rest of your life. But Jesus doesn't see any division in our lives in this way. We don't have Christian sections of who we are and then regular sections. Instead, all of life is to be lived coram Deo. It's a Latin term for before the face of God. Every element of your life is to be lived as though, because it's true, lived as though God sees it all. God is present for it all. And all of life then is to be lived coram Deo. Jesus is supreme over all things and every element of our lives. So just as we are to practice our righteousness before a holy God as though he sees it, so we want to do it with honesty and with sincerity, we also ought to live out our lives in the world as before a holy and righteous God. So these next two sections, Jesus gives attention to what forms our discipleship in the world. We are either discipled by our hopes or our anxieties. This week we're looking at our hopes. We're either discipled by our hopes, which is this week, or our anxieties, or our worries, which is next week. And so clearly this text, I think it easily breaks up, when you look at it, into three clear sections. What you treasure, what you gaze upon, or what you see, and what you serve. So the first two verses, three verses here, do not lay your, up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures and helpful. Jesus, again, he, he, so, he's such a great teacher. He, he gives a positive and a negative. There's this negative, don't do this, but instead do this. There's this negative, we are not to treasure the things of this earth. Jesus says to not lay them up for ourselves. Instead, we are to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. But then he goes farther. It isn't just don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, 
but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He gives a reason why. It's a great reason why. I mean, we really, the, the practicality of it is incredible. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth. Why? Because the, the things of this world, they decay. They rust. The moth comes in and eats them up. Or thieves can break in and steal. And so you've invested all of this energy accumulating for yourself all the things of this world just to watch them disappear. Just to watch them fade away. Just to watch them prove to not be worth anything in the final analysis. But instead, Jesus says, store up for yourself things in heaven. Why? Because there the moth can't get into. There the rust does not show up. There thieves cannot break in and steal it. It is a secured treasure. So not only is it a negative and a positive command, there's a common sense like, this is why I want this for you. Not to just motivate you out of some purpose that I have hidden. It's like, it's, let me lay it out for you. Don't live for this world because it's perishing. <laughs> it's disappearing. One day it will all fade away, but store up, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because those are the things that will not fade away. There are things of this world that moth and rust can destroy, things that thieves can steal. All I have in my, I, I, all of your junk, I guess I was just, I was writing very honestly to myself, all of your junk. <laughs> Your house, your clothing, your books, your trophies, your cars, your collectibles, all of it one day will either be sold in an estate auction or your family will have to throw it away. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's just the reality. You know, it's just one of the things, you know, you look around your house and I, I constantly am like thinking, uh, do we keep this? Do we throw it away? And I might think, well, Joel and Janet don't want to throw this away someday, so I guess I should just go ahead and throw it away. Get rid of it. Because all of your stuff, all these material possessions, we are so caught up and convinced in our culture today in the value of possessions, material wealth, and it, it fades away. It breaks down. It gets ruined. It rusts, and none of it lasts forever. All of it will either be, will, will just go away and it does us a lot of good, I think, to consider this. It does us a lot of good to think about this. You know, the, the statement, he who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys just still dies. Like a, There's no prize for it. You still just die. And now, Jesus is clearly, I think there's a clear application here with material possessions. That is a good rebuke for us and our consumeristic, materialistic culture. It's a good rebuke. But that's not the totality of what Jesus means here. Because at some level, it isn't like you can then send your car or your house or your possessions into heaven. There's something else going on here. Jesus brings in the whole realm of the passing and transient things of this world. Any accolades, any monuments, any achievements, celebrations, recognitions achieved in this world, they will fade. No matter what accolade you may accomplish in this world, and not that, not that pursuing achievement, not that you know, trying to do good works, good service in the world, and if the world applauds you, great, but at the end of the day, those will not be the things that last. They will fade. This is also a driving force behind so much of what our culture is obsessed with today. You know, it's, it's fine if you enjoy politics. It's fine if you enjoy the news. 
But when your life as a Christian is consumed with political causes and with the, the things of this world, you're missing what God is doing. When your life becomes consumed with hopes for a political party or for a certain legislation, you have just taken yourself and placed your treasures on the things of this earth. God is doing something far greater than America. <laughs> and I love America. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm here. But God's doing something far greater than that. His biggest purpose is not our nation. God is doing something far greater. Because at the end of it all, I, I've read the book, I've seen the ending, and it isn't America that stands around there. It is people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around his throne. He's building his kingdom. Now, that isn't to say we can't care about politics or things like that, but Jesus is saying to, to, to make those things primary or ultimate is to store up for yourself treasures on the earth. And then what you treasure, it does transform you. The king's people want to be transformed more and more into citizens of the kingdom, Christ's eternal kingdom. And therefore, what we ought to treasure, what we treasure truly matters how much of our time is spent after chasing passing things i mean it are we are consumed with frivolous activities in our culture today pointless frivolous activities I, we all are i could say I, I want to say you all are so that i make the point but i have to say we all are I don't want to like soften the blow too much by saying, well, me too. But because I, I want the point to hit hard. We are. We are. How much of our time is spent chasing after passing things? You know why Jesus has to mention this? Because it is so attractive to us. Like Jesus knows us. He knows and he knows how attractive the world is. He knows how appealing it is to think, yeah, I want to serve Jesus. But you know, I really, this thing would be really nice too. I really, and he knows how attractive the things of the world are. He knows how attractive accolades are. He knows how attractive the praise of men is. He knows, he knows all of these things. And so he has to lay this out for us. He has to remind us because our hearts are going to be pulled in this direction. What are the things of this fading life that most grab your attention? If you think you don't have any, you're deluded. <laughs> you're deluded. You need to know what these things are. You need to, the safest place for us to live is to know exactly what the things our hearts desire, what it is, the treasures of this earth that so often call out to us so that when they call out, we might quickly turn, we might repent, we might get away from it, we might fast from it, we might just kill that thing, get rid of it. And that desire in our life that we might store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So not only do we fight against these desires, but there's this positive aspect. We don't have time to do a bunch on this, but there, there is this command to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now, there's no way to send our material possessions ahead of us, our trophies or civic awards or whatever. But in a very real way, Jesus is saying there are treasures to be stored up for us. And most of the commentators that, commenters that I've read this week, they, they, would, they would say that this treasure are various kinds of energies and efforts put forward while in this life to serve the kingdom. 
your perseverance during a hard season, trusting Christ when things around you look dark, is storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. You're, you're, you're remaining faithful to God when it would be much easier to just make your own decision in a very real way. It's not saving you. Again, this is not salvation. This is how the king's people live like the king's people. But in a very real way, it is storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. You pointing others to the treasure that Jesus is stores up treasure. Your killing of sin, seeking to live righteously, it stores up treasure. It doesn't save you. But storing up treasure for the eternal state, it does seem so. This is why one of my Christian heroes, Jim Elliott, says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Not a fool. The person who gives up what he cannot keep, the things of this earth, he's no fool who gives those things up to gain the things that he cannot lose. We're going to fly through the next two. It, what, what you treasure matters, and then Jesus ends, uh, that, that actually there your heart will be. That's who you become, your affections, your very core of yourself will be, will be focused upon what you treasure. But not only what you treasure, but what you see. You, not only do you um, treasure, what you treasure transforms you, you become what you behold. Where your eyes are focused, it forms you. Where your eyes are focused, it forms you. It can be kind of a confusing illustration. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your body's full of light. We know that like how the brain works, and it isn't like if your eye works, your body's literally full of light. But it is making the, the, the illustration, the connection between what comes into your eye, what you set your eye upon, what you see begins to fill you. It begins to fill who you are. And if, if what you're viewing is dark, and, and you think, oh, this, because it kind of doesn't make, it's, you know, then the darkness that's in you is, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's just the idea that if what you are looking at is truly darkness, but it's the brightest thing you see, you're in a very bad, you're in a very bad way. What your eyes are focused on forms you. If your eye is consumed, if your attention and focus is all taken up with the things of the darkness, then you will be filled with darkness. And Jesus, I'm fairly certain, uh, is not referencing cell phones specifically here because it's a little before their time. But honestly, I mean, I think if this, this is a great text for our world today where our eyes are so fixed and consumed and filled with a light that isn't really light so much of the time. Don't fool yourself if your eye is filled with the things of this world. That will form you into someone of this world, not of Christ's kingdom. So, what you treasure transforms you. Where your eyes are focused forms you. And what you serve will sever you from all else. Throughout history, we've tried to deny this. Everyone thinks they can be the one that will be able to serve two masters. I can love Jesus and myself. I can do it. I can love Jesus and money. I can love Jesus and mammon or whatever. I can love Jesus and this. And I'll, I'll be the one that will be able to perfectly walk this balance, loving Jesus appropriately and loving myself appropriately. But Jesus says, and history has proven true, that this is impossible. In the end, service to money, to mammon, or to yourself 
will not allow any, any sovereign that you set up in your life eventually will come in conflict with any other sovereign you try to put in your life, and one of them will win. You cannot love God and money is how Jesus ends this. But if you begin to say to yourself, you know, God, he can rule over a whole bunch of my life, but in this area, it's mine. At the end of the day, this area that you hold off for yourself, it will end up ruling him or have to go away. You cannot serve two masters. What you serve will sever you from all else. Whether it's your finances, whether it's time management, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your sexuality or gender identity. We have a lot of this going on that I serve God, but then this area of my life belongs to me. Well, what you find when you carry those two realities out for very far, one of them begins to rule the other. One of them begins to rule the other. You cannot serve two masters. You will end up hating the one true God and serving the other. So it brings us back to where we began. What is forming us? We are all in the process of being formed into something. There is no just bland or passive holding pattern in this world. We are all either being conformed to the image of Christ or something else. This is why Paul calls us to set our minds on things above, not on the things of this earth in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. That's why we are to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen and are eternal, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18. As we gaze upon Him, as we look to Him and His gospel, they conform us to Himself. Practically, there is likely a need for both negative and positive action to come in your life as a result of this text. I know they came in mine. <laughs> That's the reality. There is likely both negative and positive action to be taken. What influences do we need to stop letting consume our lives? Honestly, sometimes I have to remove social media accounts from my phone because they are programmed psychologically to just suck you in and to drag you down. And so you have to just get rid of them sometimes because they begin to consume you. Thousands of things we could list off. Do you have any interests that take up too much of your time and energy and thought? For some, it may be news, maybe just the internet in general, maybe it's games, whatever it is. Many things not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when they take up your sight, when they become your treasure, when they become the thing that you're focused on, the thing that you're serving, you're setting other things aside that you might do them, that is when they become big problems. There's likely negative things that need to happen, but positively what needs to happen? Fellowship with God and His people. Make it a priority. Spend time in God's Word and in prayer. Get connected with Christian brothers and sisters. Read good books about God. Sing songs of worship. Engage in the gatherings of the church. It's always so tough as a pastor to be like, make the Sunday morning gathering a, a, a high priority in your life. Because, well, it just sounds like, well, I just like to have a full room. <laughs> Very self-serving. But as, as I was thinking about this this morning, we don't have time to go. Uh, if we really wanted... If our hearts were numbers, we could get that somewhere else quite easily. Jim's been in churches where there were more people in a Sunday morning service than our town has, right? So, that, so it isn't the numbers. There is a heartbeat. When we say we get involved in the community, it isn't to, so we can finally feel good about our numbers. It is out of love for the church. 
It's out of love for you that we want this treasure, this growth, this understanding, this, this um, being filled with the fellowship of God and his people so that we might grow in conformity to honor Christ and to glorify him. We must routinely and consistently remind ourselves and ground ourselves upon the purpose of God in the world and of his mercy and grace to us in the gospel. Hebrews 12 says that we ought to look to Jesus and to consider him. When you treasure Christ and his gospel, what it does for you and for your neighbor, when you set your eyes upon this good news, when you seek to live all of life in service to the one true God, that in the gospel reconciled, through the gospel, through faith in Christ, reconciled you to himself, when that is what consumes your eyes, you'll be transformed and you will have great treasure in heaven. It takes, it takes a truly great treasure for us to be able to say, I will set aside all of these things that the world so clearly values for something greater. That thing that's greater better be truly great. And that, that the reality is, <laughs> what we are saying, it isn't like, and this is so often the way it comes across to uh, so many ears, give up all these great things and settle for Jesus. That is not my appeal. <laughs> to give up all this stuff that's rusting and fading and falling away. For Jesus, the perfecter, the author, the finisher of your faith, God himself, the maker of the universe, who in his graciousness, in his mercy, did not leave you to wander off into condemnation, but sent his son into the world, who lived the righteous life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve, so that everyone who would call upon his name, turning from their sin and trusting to him, would be forgiven of their sin, made righteous in his sight, and secured to him for all of eternity. And so when the appeal comes to us, don't treasure the things of this world. It isn't don't treasure all these things that will be great and settle for Jesus. It's like don't treasure this fading stuff. Look to Jesus, who is far better, far superior, far greater Look to him, set your eyes upon him, trust him, and be transformed for his glory and for your own good. One of the ways that we focus then as the church together upon Jesus and his work as a gathered body is through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So we, this morning we are going to celebrate communion together, and we got a couple of guys who will come forward. I'll pray, and then we will uh, get into communion together. Let's pray. Father, so much to throw at us this morning, and my heartbeat is just these simple things that, that, God, you would give us eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. I pray for every heart in this place this morning. No matter if we've walked with you, if we think we've walked with you for year upon year upon year, or if we're new in the faith, or if we're not sure we even know you in a saving way yet, Jesus, my prayer is that every heart in this place this morning would see the great value and worth of Jesus, of this gospel, of this good news that saves sinners, that, God, we have deserved 
condemnation. But Christ came to earth, took our condemnation upon himself so that by faith in him, we would be reconciled, adopted into your family. Oh, Father, give us eyes to see and rejoice and trust in you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.